0: I don't know about you, but I cannot hear that song without crying, so I'm still trying to pull myself together a little bit. Um, But what an honor it is to be here this morning. As someone who has sat out there with you for the last six and a half years, it feels a little surreal to be standing up here. Um, But since the first time I sat in that seat, Monday mornings have been my happy place. And so we're going to have a good time this morning and learn a little something while we're at it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley, and I have been on staff here at Crossings for seven years. Many of you probably know me as the girl making frantic laps upstairs in the adult headwing on Sunday mornings. But I am a bit of a jack of all things, so you may know me for some of my other quirky passions. I am a major book nerd, like read and review early releases of books for fun type book nerd. I am 110% athletically challenged, but I have also somehow walked 440 miles in hopes of finding a cure for breast cancer. I've sent over 125,000 Christmas cards to veterans all over the country in the last decade. I only wanted one child, but somehow ended up with four. I um, drive a Suburban because of those four children, purely out of necessity, not because I think it makes me look cool. If you're wearing an elephant bracelet this morning, I made that. And I really love these shoes. (laughs) I may also have them in pink, but that's probably all you need to know about me. As you know, we're knee-deep in a study on the fruit of the Spirit, and today I'm going to share with you about patience and gentleness. How many of you just inwardly groaned a little bit? Um, How many of you have heard someone say, or even been the one to say, oh, you should never pray for patience? You guys, when did we start disavowing one of the fruit? Why have we turned patience into a Christian dirty word? I think before we dive into why we so desperately need to cultivate this fruit in our lives, we need to start by tearing down this idea that it's one we'd rather do without. Why is it on this beautiful list of nourishing fruit we think that patience might be sour instead of sweet? I think it's because we know that in order to display the patience of the Lord, that we must be put in a situation that feels a little like hot water, that feels a little like tension, that feels a little uncomfortable. And we don't like uncomfortable because we like control. We want to hang on to it for just a bit longer because we think that control brings comfort. But don't we know better? Still, we find ourselves actively praying for those other fruit, but somehow leaving out patience. Can I let you in on a little secret? They're all intertwined as one. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. They all come from the same vine, and we are only as mature as our least developed fruit. So as we get started today, here's my disclaimer. Patience does not have to be a fruit that we fear. Hang with me and allow the Lord to show you something new about patience and gentleness today. Remember when I said I had four kids? After having my son, I never wanted more children. I would tell anyone that listened that I was a one and done mom and some of you are nodding or laughing because I have looked you dead in the eye and said that exact phrase. But three years ago, God called my husband and I to be foster parents, and we said yes. So for the last two years and 10 months, I have been a foster mom to the most wonderful set of siblings, and as you may know, the goal of foster care is to return children to their families. After doing everything that we knew how to, there was a turning point that made it clear to us that the children wouldn't be able to go back to their parents or their grandparents. And our hearts slowly began to change. And while I've always loved them and always desired for their good, their good changed to staying with us instead of going home. So the court changed their goals to adoption. But we're still waiting. And for the last year and a half, I have asked God if I could be there forever, Mama but I'm still waiting. For months, my daughter has asked me when she can change her last name, but she's still waiting. And next week, six strangers will decide the fate of our two oldest foster children, and we're still waiting on that day for the third. Do you want to know the truth? I am downright tired of waiting. I'm tired of praying the same prayers. I'm tired of wrestling with the what-ifs or the how-will-I's. But in my utter weakness, he is strong. Actually, he's downright shown off in my life since my husband and I have taken the plunge into foster care. I tell you this because even in someone like me, a type A control freak, mom of one who hates to wait, God can cultivate his fruit if we let him, even patience. So today we're gonna answer three questions about this often disdained fruit. Where does it come from? How do we cultivate it? And why do we want it? If you've got your Bibles with you, open them with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians is a book of the Bible written by Paul. If you don't know Paul, He wrote the passage in Galatians about this fruit that we've been studying. He also wrote a little over a quarter of your New Testament. He was roughly the same age as Jesus and was an extremely well-educated Jewish Pharisee. And he spent the time before his conversion persecuting Christians. When he became a follower of Christ, he became one of the early church's first missionaries and established churches all throughout Asia Minor and Europe. And during this particular letter, he's writing to the church of Ephesus while he's imprisoned back in Rome. He's been put in jail for the things that he's done while being a follower of Jesus Christ. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is declaring promises, the promises of Christ. And as we move into this chapter, he begins stating to us our responsibilities because we're recipients of those promises. He's presenting God's plan for faithful living in the church. Ephesians has been referred to as the adoption book. And that irony is not lost on me. Think of it this way. As Christians, we have been adopted into God's family. We get to change our last name. We get all of these wonderful gifts because we are a member of his family. But this family has expectations too. Family rules, if you will. So let's start in verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul commands us right from the get-go to produce some fruit, words that you're familiar with if you've been paying attention the last few weeks. He tells us to be patient, but what is patience? We know it's a fruit of the Spirit, something God gives us, but what does it look like? Patience is not something we do, it's something we are. And in order for that to really make sense, I think we need to look closely at where it comes from. Patience is first and foremost, the steadfastness of the Lord. It's an attribute that he extends to us when we are abiding in him. I mean, how patient must the Lord be to deal with us, right? And he so graciously gives us that gift. Steadfastness is the quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. The Lord is unwavering. Paul says in verse one, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received worthy. In our world today, we often see someone who is worthy as someone who's important, someone who's notable, someone who earned their seat at the table. But this is not the type of worthiness that Paul is talking about here. Our worth in Christ is freely given. I love the definition of worthy in the Oxford Dictionary. Worthy is having qualities or abilities that merit recognition. Is that not what fruit is? qualities that merit recognition. Because let me tell you, if you go out into the world and you display the Lord's patience, the Lord's gentleness, the Lord's love, you're going to get recognition. Those things only come from the vine and those things are light in the darkness. The word calling in this phrase literally means an invitation. God has invited us to be a part of the family. Remember, we get to change our last name. In accepting this gift, the invitation, you can now choose to dwell with the king. You've been grafted into his family, and members of his family bear his fruit. They look like him. You can tell that they're of the same DNA. Patience is not something we do, it's something we are. Patience is the steadfastness of the Lord. And that same patience lives in you and in me. It can't be manufactured or faked or mustered up by our own will. Only He can bestow such a gift. But He wants us to utilize it, to cultivate it. So what does patience look like in our lives as humans? How do we tap into the gift? How do we grow it and nourish it? Patience ripens during long-suffering and trials. Long-suffering is having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. Other people. Like Adam and Eve, when sin entered the world, so did suffering. Don't worry, I heard the collective groan. I understand that we don't like this idea of suffering. It's hard. But don't stop listening here. Hang with me for just a few. Paul starts out this chapter with as a prisoner for the Lord. Why does he do that? To let them know that he is suffering too. And despite it all, he's still serving the Lord. He's giving him all of the glory. And he is still asking us to produce God's fruit. Suffering is simply dying to ourselves. It's taking up our cross daily and allowing the Spirit to speak through us. God's character poured out upon us and flowed out to those around us. Doesn't sound so bad, right? Suffering is a daily, an hourly, a minute-by-minute choice to allow our comfort to take a back seat to the will of God. Patience isn't something we decide to deploy when it best suits us. It's a continual choice to obey the will of God. So when you're in traffic and you just wanna throw up a finger or scream or say something that your kids probably should not hear from you while they're in the car, no matter what their age is, allow God's will to step in front of your comfort. Let your flesh take a back seat to the spirit of the Lord. Suffering can be as simple as that. Now, Ashley, you do not understand anything about suffering. I hear you, friend. Not all suffering is being frustrated in line at the grocery store or having disdain for traffic or not being able to listen to my kids at max volume for one more minute without hurting someone or blowing a gasket. You moms know what I mean, right? Some suffering is harder than that. Some suffering is cancer. Some suffering is losing a parent, a friend, or a spouse. It's losing a child. It's not being able to pay your bills. It's addiction. It's abuse. It's watching your children struggle because they're different. It's wondering if this is the day that DHS is going to change their mind and take my babies away. Suffering is walking through really dark places. And God allows that suffering, but why? Why does he allow us to suffer in both big and small ways? I wish I had a simple answer, but the oversimplified one is this, for his glory, for his will to be done for his spirit to be poured out upon us in order that it may touch someone around us, for the nourishment that comes only from him when we abide. Because whether you're splashing in puddles or drowning in the depths of the ocean, the mission never changes. No matter where we are in our story on this earth, we are to shine brightly for Christ. The world will know him by our love, by our fruit that is produced in suffering, because suffering provides us an opportunity to learn patience, to abide. And as we pour out his love into the world, surely he is with us, even in our sufferings, even at our lowest, even when we doubt, even when you get a phone call that says, the newborn that just arrived from the hospital is leaving your care after only five days living the high of bringing a precious baby girl into your home only to have her ripped away at one week old. Will I ever see her again? Will she ever know her siblings? Will she be safe? I didn't know. But women in this very room were the hands and feet of Jesus. They showed up, they brought me food, they made me eat it. they did not care about the state of my home, they cared about the state of my heart. They prayed for her protection and for my quickly crumbling world. They came because they knew what it was like to sit in suffering. And the next day, a white car came and took away the baby that had already taken my heart. It was one of my darkest days. The staff of this incredible church gifted me this. We won't let you drown. When you are in the depths of the sea of suffering, you better be clinging to the vine like a life raft. In the moment, you will feel helpless and scared and confused, but hang on. Wait, trust because when you reach the shore, that is when you see what all the water was for. It was watering the fruit. And it took a month. That felt more like 10 years, but I got to see the shore, this side of heaven. As we were headed to Tulsa one day to pick up her siblings from a visit, my phone rang, and it was the caseworker. Did you bring an extra car seat, she asked? How do you feel about picking up three kids today instead of two? We're scrambling to get the judge's signature before 5 p.m., but she can't stay here. She's not safe. And so our sweet Nora came home again, for now. Why do we want patience? Maybe you're thinking, I was kind of on board when it sounded like a gift, but some of that suffering seems really scary. It is, but our God is not a God of fear. He is a God of love. And what Satan and his companion's sin have put into the world to scare us can always be turned to love by our good God. That is why our relationship with the Lord is strengthened in trials and in suffering. Why else would God tell us in James 1 to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds? If we read to verses 3 and 4, we see because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we dwell with him and cling to him in our suffering, we can't help but be changed. We can't help but be different. And that's something we can't keep to ourselves. We want patience because patience allows endurance in community. Endurance is the power of persisting through an unpleasant or difficult situation without giving way. Perseverance, standing firm, remaining in Him. If we look back at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit the bond of peace the ESD says to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit the NLT says make every effort to keep yourselves united and the message so beautifully says pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences look around your table Is that the kind of community you have with the people sitting next to you? What about the people you see across the room on Sunday mornings? Those you interact with during your week at work? Those within the very walls of your home? If we continue reading through verse 6, Paul keeps talking about unity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In this passage, Paul is specifically talking about unity in the church. We must make every effort to remain united. Not a little sea church like crossings, but a big sea global church, all who profess the resurrected Jesus as Lord. We must bind ourselves together Pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love and being quick to mend fences. Do you think that if we worked as hard as Paul asks us to in this passage, that the world might look a little different? That society might have a different narrative about the church? How do we remain focused on a posture of unity? Let's look at our passage. What does Paul say? Be completely humble, and gentle, be patient. See, patience and gentleness go hand in hand. To be gentle is to be patient. The biblical definition of gentleness is meekness, mildness, humility. The continual practicing of patience allows us to be gentle with those around us, just as God is gentle with us. Gentleness breeds unity in our lives. But remember, unfortunately, we don't like patience. We don't pray for patience. And by avoiding what should be seen as good, we are lacking gentleness and missing out on unity. When you're truly patient with a person, whether it's your kids, or your husband, or a total stranger, you can't help but be gentle. God created it that way. Gentleness, will help us be bound together in love. And that's what Paul is asking us in this passage in Ephesians. He has told us about the promises of the Lord in the previous chapter. He's preached the gospel. And then he's saying, you are a part of the family now. Don't forget, family members bear good fruit. You must be one with one another, and you must breed unity to be healthy members of my family. And this isn't the only place that Paul talks about this. In his letter to the Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Don't you think there might be something to this unity thing? Unity is defined as the state of being joined as a whole. So why is unity so important to the church? A unified church is one of the strongest evidences of the truth of the gospel. In a world as divisive as ours, it's easy to disagree. It takes something stronger, something holy to build unity. We all have a common enemy and he wants nothing more than to divide what God has built. He wants to create fear and disorder when the spirit is working towards truth and peace. Jesus himself prayed to the father in the gospel of John that we would be one as he is one with the Lord saying, so the world may believe that you sent me. Unity is imperative to the authenticity of the gospel. Please don't hear me incorrectly. Unity is not uniformity. It is not sameness. It is embracing each other's differences in order to further the kingdom of God. So when you think about patience, please don't think about suffering. Think about unity. Think about the opportunity God is giving you to allow the goodness of the Lord to touch people around you. The opportunity to bear good fruit is the invitation to be a part of God's cosmic plan for humanity. It's his invitation in living out the gospel. And it's our opportunity to glimpse Eden, this side of heaven. So here's the deal. When you pray for patience, I cannot promise that God will not allow a big suffering in your life. For some in this room, this week, it will be a cancer diagnosis. For someone else, it will be getting stuck in line with the slowest cashier while you are racing to the car line to pick up your kids. For me, it will be putting the fate of my children in the hands of six complete and total strangers but knowing that no matter what happens, that the Lord is good. He loves those babies more than I ever could. Our incredible God of love can turn any suffering around for good. So we have got to stop being afraid of suffering because we are missing out on all of the good fruit that comes after. What does he have for you in your suffering today? Maybe someone in your path needs to see the Lord's goodness. Maybe he's building your testimony. If you are deep in suffering today, the drowning in the depths can't take one more breath type suffering, cling tightly to the Lord. He won't let you drown. I would encourage you to allow the Lord to pour his spirit out on you, to rest in his goodness. Allow his will to be done in this season of your life. You probably don't even know who your story is already touching. You might not ever know. Do you remember in the first session when Deidre told us about the process of winemaking? The vine produces fruit that is made better by the gardener's pruning. And it's tossed about by the wind and the rain and the good fruit remains But we know that isn't the end of the story. Remember, we were not made to be picked and to look good in a fruit bowl. The fruit is harvested and crushed before it can be refined and made into nourishment for someone else. Oftentimes, I think we miss the nourishment our fruit provides because we are still mourning being crushed. Relish being crushed, friends, for then you have produced good fruit. And your good fruit helps the church to find unity. And unity is essential to telling our world about the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the walls of this building that we so often take for granted. Thank you for this opportunity you have given us to gather together to learn more about you Thank you for the women that you have placed into our lives. May we look around our tables and see those we can cling to in times of trouble, but also those we can link arms with as we pursue unity and truth. Lord, may you not only bless us with your patience today, but give us opportunities to use it. May we be gentle so that those around us see less of us and more of you. Thank you for every breath today. May we use each of them for your glory. In your precious name we pray, amen.